You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today we're going to talk about hosting, but first we just wanted to take a minute to remind everyone about the Friendlier reading experience. We've heard from several of the groups, and it sounds like they are off to a great start. We are putting groups together on a rolling basis, so if you are interested but have yet to fill out the form, you can go ahead and do that, and we'll match you as we get enough signups of compatible folks. Let's move on to life lately. What's been happening with you, Abby? My sister was just in town for a week. It's sort of the perfect life lately since we're talking about hosting. (laughs) She lives in California, so we don't see each other very often, but she worked it out to where she had a week off of work and she could come and stay with us. And it was amazing. She stayed in Plum's room with her because we have a really small house. And that was actually a really good fit because Audrey and Plum are both great sleepers. (laughs) (laughs) So they did well in the room with the blackout curtains. And we mostly just lived our lives with the addition of my really fun sister. We played a lot of games. We both did work when we needed to. She and Plum hung out a lot, which is awesome. Plum is really fun now, and Audrey hasn't spent a whole lot of time with her, but it was really sweet to watch them hang out together. She left yesterday, and last night I felt really sad. (laughs) That sounds like a really great visit. What's new with you, Sarah? I want to talk about audio on fast speed. (laughs) Here for this. (laughs) This is something I know you know all about, but I first discovered listening to podcasts on faster speed, which where has that been all of my life? Why has it taken me so long? It has made podcast listening so much more enjoyable. Podcasts that I like to listen to, but don't want to commit the full amount of time to, Mm -hmm. now I don't have to, right? (laughs) And then that inspired me to try more audiobooks, Mm. which listeners may know that Abby is the big audiobook person, and I usually just want to read a paper book. And one of your complaints has been that it's too slow to have someone else read it to you. Yes, exactly. And so first I thought I could only do nonfiction because I thought it would make me crazy to hear a novel that quickly and that I'd (laughs) want to be able to slow down. But it is not yet halfway through April and I'm on my fourth audiobook this month. Yeah. Two of which have been novels and I love it. (laughs) I love it too. When you talk about faster speeds, what speed are you using? So at first I was just doing one and a half for podcasts, but now I'm up to two. Yep. With the audiobooks, it's been dependent on the book. So one of them that I was really wanting to sort of take in, I was doing at 1.25 or Mm 1.5. And Mm -hmm. going faster than that really took away from the experience for me. Yeah. Nonfiction books, though, I was doing at two. And the novel I'm reading now, for some reason, seems easier to do faster. So I think I'm doing that one at 1.8. I think a lot of times it depends on the reader. Mm Mm-hmm. 1.75 or 2x is nothing for some readers, but Mm -hmm. other readers, you literally lose words. Yes. And I really do want to hear every word. So when I was going faster on the one novel, I kept having to rewind. Mm, And that was more annoying to me than just listening to it at a slower speed. Yeah, that's not a good use of time, the rewinding. No. (laughs) So I'm loving it. Podcast listeners, if you're only listening to us at 1x, might want to try listening to us faster. Might be even better. I'm sure they're all (laughs) listening to us faster. (laughs) Was I the only one? Am I the only podcast listener that was listening at regular speed? I met one other person recently who has not yet tried it, too. (laughs) Okay. Listeners, weigh in. 
Do you all listen to us faster? <laughs> I'm sure. Well, that's a great transition into what we've been reading, either via audio or otherwise. So this was a listen for me. It's called This Is How It Always Is by Lori Frankel. And this is a novel about Rosie and Penn, parents of five children, four boys, and then Claude, who transitions to Poppy during the book. I loved this book. It was just a really beautiful story for me. Most of the action centers around having a transgender child, but there are other beautiful pieces that came in too, like all the characters and the interactions among the siblings. Mm-hmm. I also really loved the depiction of Rosie and Penn's marriage because they just clearly really loved each other. I loved all the parenting, not just, you know, parenting in the challenge of having a transgender child, but also the other aspects of all these siblings and balancing what all of your kids need and maintaining your sense of self in the midst of that just felt amazing. The other storyline that really hit home for me were the struggles that Rosie has balancing work with parenting Mm -hmm. and the expectations of her male co-worker who is sort of like her boss. Yes. I loved the writing. You know, she writes some longer sentences and some kind of less straightforward, more literary, less journalistic type writing. And sometimes I have no patience for that. But man, it really worked for this story. And it worked great in audiobook format. Hmm. So there was really very little that I didn't like about it. So I read this shortly after you finished it. And I also loved and really related to the way that parenting was depicted Mm -hmm. and just that you're doing the very best you can, but you can't see the future and you don't know the outcome and that you do have to make these choices and trade-offs and you can't see the end game. And it's really an act of faith in trusting that doing your best is good enough and that if you're making a wrong choice that you're going to work that out together with your family. Yeah. The one thing I will say I didn't like was the ending. I know this is a very popular book, so if listeners have read it, we should discuss. It did not feel realistic to me, and the whole book up to that point really felt like it was touching on the good and the bad of all these situations and very realistic. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, it felt a little too neat and happy and fairy tale ending. And I loved that part. I love a fairy tale ending. <laughs> I don't. So for me, it was not a five star book, but I did love it. So I would recommend this for everyone. And I have, in many cases, recommended it to everyone. I do want to give a trigger warning for listeners. There is one very graphic scene of violence against a transgender individual. So just be forewarned if you do decide to listen to it or pick it up that that is coming. What have you been reading, Sarah? I read The Heart's Invisible Furies by John Boyne. And this is a book that came very highly recommended to me. Mm -hmm. There were three readers whose opinions I really trust that all said it was one of the best books they've read within the last year. Wow. And then Neil read it before I did. And he's usually very, eh, it was fine whenever he reads a book. And he told me that this was a very good book. So my expectations were high going in. Yeah. And I would say that they were met. 
It is an epic story that spans the life of Cyril Avery. And so it starts before he's even born. And then every section of the book jumps forward seven years. Mm -hmm. And the book ends when he's 70. So it's about his story as a homosexual man in Ireland and his own coming to terms with that and what his personal experience is like. Mm -hmm. But it's also about... Ireland and the transitions and attitudes that that country undergoes throughout his lifetime. The dialogue in the book was amazing. This is before I was into my audiobook craze. That's what I'm calling it after listening to four, my craze. (laughs) But there were some sections, especially later in the book, that I wished I was listening to because the dialogue was so witty and sharp and funny. And I think hearing it would have made the experience even better. I bet in Irish accents, too. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing I didn't like, and I don't know if I would even say this as a dislike, but just as the way the book was, is that there are so many coincidences and overlapping of lives that would Mm. just never happen in real life, but made for really beautiful literary symmetry and made the story feel like it really came together. So I didn't mind it, but you do have to suspend your disbelief and accept it for what it is because (laughs) it would never happen like that. I would recommend this book for most people. It was a commitment. It's a longer book, but it was really beautifully done and made me think. I've also heard great things about this one, and I am on the audiobook list at the library right now. Wonderful. So now it's time for our main segment, which today is all about hosting what we do well, what we don't, and how we feel about the whole endeavor. I think it will become clear very early on that hosting is not necessarily what we would consider our strength. (laughs) So just be forewarned, listeners, that this may not make you want to come stay at our houses. (laughs) But here we go. What do you think makes for a good host? I think the most important thing about a good host is for the person to feel and seem genuinely happy to have you and not be experiencing stress at you being there. Mm -hmm. I also really like in a host someone who is willing to take care of what they need or what their family needs without apology. So Mm. I think especially in the South, but probably everywhere, women who are hosting are expected to give everything of themselves and be ready at the drop of the hat for whatever the guest needs and to put everything else in their lives on hold. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's realistic. And I think that that breeds resentment in the host and then potentially in the guest as well, if that's the expectation that's not being fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So... As a host, I want to practice good self-care, and I want people who host me to do that, and I want my guests to also do that. Yes, I love that idea of practicing self-care while hosting, and I think you're right that it can make the guest feel uncomfortable if you're going so far out of your way and that's obvious. That doesn't feel good to me as somebody in that situation, even though it's meant to. Yeah. I think for me, the most important thing is having enough food. (laughs) I completely agree with that as well. I really hate being hungry, and it's my worst nightmare to be at somebody's house and not have enough food at a meal Mm -hmm. or in between because I'm a big snacker, and I do not do well without food in terms of my own mental attitude about life. (laughs) And so that can just make for a really negative experience. 
And I am happy to provide my own food as well. And I appreciate when hosts are happy to have some extra room in their fridge for me to put things in so I don't have to be asking for food. (laughs) And you come at it as a host, too, where you always try and have enough. Yes. And have plenty. You know, Mm -hmm. that there's enough for everyone to have seconds at dinner. We're a family that likes to eat seconds and likes to have leftovers and just making sure that no one's feeling at the end of the meal like they're scraping the bottom of the pot or that no one (laughs) wants to take the last one because they know everybody else still wants some more too. Right. So we love to double and triple recipes, even in our just everyday life, but especially (laughs) if we have guests because being hungry at somebody else's house is just not fun. It's the worst. The other thing that I think makes a good host is not having too much planned. Mm. And I think this comes back to me being an introvert and really needing a lot of downtime to feel at ease in the world, Mm -hmm. especially when I'm traveling. And so I really like to feel comfortable reading my book on the couch for half an hour and not feel like I need to be constantly interacting or doing things or going out that it's okay to just hang out and let everyone do their own thing for a while and to make that feel normal. Yeah. Not like you're being antisocial or rude to do that. I feel that way too, even as an extrovert, because when I go out of town, it's usually because I want to break. Right. I do plenty of things in my normal life. And so the idea of going somewhere Mm -hmm. and doing a whole bunch of stuff, like let's go to the park, let's go to the zoo, let's do all these things. I like those things. But if I'm actually visiting someone and I'm a guest in their house, I just want to spend time with them or have downtime. So I'm with you on that, too. Yes. So what kinds of hosting do you really enjoy? We really love to host friends for meals. Brunch is a favorite. Seems to work really well with the current two-year-old schedule. So have friends come over and play, eat then take a nap when everyone goes home kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Dinner is good, but it can be tricky because of that same schedule. And because on weeknights, Andrew gets home pretty close to dinner time. So that means I'm both parenting and getting everything ready. So unless it's someone really chilled out who knows that they're just coming over for family dinner, Mm -hmm. then it feels stressful to me to do that. Another thing that we really love to do is to have people over and make a fire in our fire pit on our patio and have drinks because that's really low key. So there may be snacks, you know, like popcorn or s'mores or something, but then you can just offer a bottle of wine and some beers and sit around and talk. We do not do much overnight hosting because our house is small. Right. (laughs) And there's not really very much space. We just have the one bathroom and The other reason for that, and one reason why we have a small house, is because we really like to have a break, even with out-of-town guests, where it's just our family and we can kind of re-equilibrate, you know, and do basic routine stuff, have some downtime as hosts. And that's true even for out-of-town guests that we really love. I feel the same in that I much prefer having people over for meals or to hang out than I do the overnight hosting for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And we have a slightly larger space than you do, but it still feels like we're really on top of each other. And it's just more of a challenge for me. I love potlucks. Mm. I don't know if that counts as hosting when you're having other people do half the work. You have to clean your house. (laughs) It's true. That is true. It counts. I really enjoy that. I enjoy making a few really wonderful things to share and then 
having a lot of different food there. Mm -hmm. I love that it feels less stressful and just easy for everyone involved. Yeah. Although I guess maybe not as easy for your guests since you're asking them to bring the food. I mean, it's less easy than just showing up, but Mm -hmm. it's also easier than bring me a whole dinner to my house, which you're not asking them to do. Right. Or not asking them to host the event at their place. Yeah. They don't have to clean their house. Yeah. They can leave their kitchen a hot mess after they make their one dish. (laughs) (laughs) Or they can buy taco dip at the store, you know? Right. And dinners do feel a little bit tricky at this phase of life. It's just not the best time for our family. We aren't putting our best foot forward at that time of day, just all across the board. Who is? So that can feel a little more stressful and not like I'm able to just totally relax because I feel like I need to be doing a lot more hands-on parenting. So that's the kind of hosting we like and don't like. What parts of hosting do you most enjoy? I love, like I said before, I think sharing just daily life with friends. And usually for me, that includes a lot of conversation. But things like cooking together, parenting at the same time, taking walks together with out-of-town guests to show them the stuff that we encounter in our daily life. I love watching Plum interact with people that I love, so friends Mm, and family, whether they're coming over for brunch, their local friends, or, you know, it's out-of-town folks who don't see her much. Really love playing games. Mm, Me too. I love it when we have time for this. When someone is visiting, Audrey and I played a lot of games. It was very fun. We also do like to specifically have people over for game night or dinner and then games after. Yes, that's the kind of hosting I like, too. What about you? What sort of things do you enjoy about being with guests? Really, it's the conversation. I really love catching up with friends and family, and I love being able to show them our life here if they're coming from out of town and show them the things that we love. And then I just really love getting to chat with people and bring them into our lives in that way. So on the flip side, which parts of hosting are not your favorite? I do not love trying to fit in work when what I really want to be doing is hanging out. Mm. My work these days is so integrated in my life because it's freelance work that it's hard to carve out designated time. Like if I was working in an office or somewhere off site and could actually take days off. And so that was a really hard thing that I just experienced when Audrey was here that I was like, I just want to sit around and talk to my sister. I do not want to be doing this stupid writing assignment. And I'm still striving for better balance around that. And as mentioned, I used to really enjoy house guests and now I feel less like that. I'm thinking that probably that will shift again Mm -hmm. as things get easier, you know, not having such young kids and Maybe my work life looking a little bit different and maybe our space looking different. Right. So that there's just a lot more breathing room around all of those things. And then house guests might make sense again in future. I really agree with what you're saying about these different phases of life. Mm -hmm. And I think right now some negativity I'm feeling around hosting really is 
unique to this time period. Some of it is not. Some of it's my personality. (laughs) But some of it is that with having young kids, it also feels like we're very on display Mm. in a way that, of course, it's still with people we love. But I feel like there's still that tension when it's harder for my kids to be sharing their space with other people, even people that they love. I think that takes them out of their routine and makes it more of a challenge for them. So we're all out of what's normal. And then they're having these big feelings about that, that we then need to be working with them on. Mm -hmm. So it feels like this whole extra layer beyond just hosting someone in our home. Definitely. I think the hardest part for me is having less downtime and space and just feeling like we're a little bit on top of each other. And that can be really hard for me to not feel like I can just escape to my room and read my book for an hour, Mm. but that I do have responsibilities as a host to make sure that everyone's feeling comfortable. And I wonder if part of that is like what you were saying at the very beginning is that part of being a good host can be taking that time for myself and Mm. not making people feel like they're keeping me from that because that's an uncomfortable situation for guests to be in as well. Yeah. And I wonder if there's room for more communication around that with And for our guests, too, Mm. and sort of setting different expectations even before a visit. Right. I need to think more about that and how that might feel and look to make it be even smoother and more easeful for everybody. Let me know what you discover. (laughs) I will. (laughs) The other part that is not my favorite about hosting is that it generally makes me feel fairly incompetent. (laughs) And when I hear other people talking about hosting and things that they do, or when I visit somebody else's house and they have the flowers and the little bottles of shampoo and nice fluffy towels that aren't really old, (laughs) it's just not something that is even on my radar. These little touches are not a strength of mine. And I blame my mom a little bit. (laughs) Hi, mom. She's a listener. (laughs) Because she is the exact same way. And part of it is that I don't care when I go to somebody else's house. I would never notice if somebody didn't have those things. And then when I see them, it's like such a surprise. Like, oh, that's a thing that you do when you're hosting. (laughs) And I hope that guests don't feel like our home is lacking. But because there's lots of things that aren't important to me, I don't think of it as being important to somebody else, which is definitely a blind spot and a weakness of mine as an adult in the world. So I think in general, when I'm hosting, I feel like it highlights my shortcomings and that that isn't always a great feeling to have. Just want to offer a little reassurance to you, Sarah, (laughs) any other listeners who may feel the same way. When Audrey got here last Wednesday, we didn't even have clean towels, (laughs) let alone (laughs) fluffy towels. Yep. So she said, is there a towel I can have if I want to take a shower? I said, not yet. We'll wash them tomorrow. (laughs) Yes. So this is very much in a similar vein for me. Let's discuss hostess gifts. I neither expect hostess gifts from my guests, nor do I bring them for other people, with some exceptions. So I have friends that I've known for a long time who clearly really appreciate physical gifts. Mm -hmm. And when I visit at those people's houses, I try and bring something like a bottle of wine, a fifth of bourbon, you know, something that I know that they'll like and use or that we can even share together. But beyond that, I am not into hostess gifts. Hostess gifts are something for me that I just feel like I don't get because 
I just want less gift giving in my life overall. (laughs) So if you're coming to my house, please don't bring me a gift because I'm trying to get rid of things. And if I tell somebody that when they're coming, they really don't need to bring something, I really mean it. It's not some secret code for I'm telling you not to, to be polite, but you should understand my words that actually you're supposed to be bringing something. Yeah, my it's a veiled reminder that hostess gifts are a thing. <laughs> right. And I don't want to sound like I'm unappreciative if somebody brings something. I think it's very thoughtful to do that. I just find it unnecessary. And in general, in our culture, I just wish there was less of this exchange of things every time we're getting together. Mm. Because to me, it really feels like enough to have somebody come over to share a meal together, to talk or to have them stay at our home that what I want is to spend time with them. And I don't need some sort of physical gift or reminder or thank you in that way, because that's not what I'm looking for in that exchange. What about consumable gifts? I think that that is my preference. So if I were to bring a hostess gift, if that felt like the socially appropriate thing to do, which turns out it is in many situations, then I would bring wine or food or a dessert or something like that. Because, I mean, most people love food and drink, and it's not something that's going to add more clutter to their home. What about a plant? How would you feel about receiving a plant? Hmm. I would love to have a house plant. I think that's a great hostess gift. But if somebody brought that, it would be a surprise to me. Like, oh, you're bringing me a gift at this time where I wasn't expecting one. Right. But I do think that's a very nice hostess gift if you are going to bring one. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yes. But really, my bottom line is, if someone tells you not to bring anything, that you should believe them. I think that about ends our discussion of hosting. Listeners, we would love to hear what you love about hosting, what you don't love about it, and where you stand on the hostess gift question. (laughs) Let's end, as we always do, chatting about what we've been eating. I am going to talk today about what I am calling easy enchiladas. (laughs) We have shared many an enchilada recipe on this podcast, and this is not going to be the most delicious of those recipes, (laughs) but it will be the easiest. (laughs) So what I've been doing is getting a package of whole wheat tortillas, two cans of refried beans, a thing of enchilada sauce, which normally jarred enchilada sauce is not delicious, but there is one here. It's the local foods brand, and it is very tasty. Mm. And then the last thing you need is cheese. Of course. So take the tortillas, put some refried beans, roll it up, continue with that process until you have utilized all of them, pour on enchilada sauce, sprinkle on cheese, put in oven. That's it. (laughs) I love it because now that I know I like to make this, we can just keep the ingredients on hand. Mm. It's a really hearty meal and it's one that I can make ahead of time when I'm going to school pickup so that when we come home, it's just putting it in the oven and then it's ready. Nice. And then we usually have a side of vegetables because otherwise all it is is beans, cheese, and tortilla, which is delicious. No shame in that game. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's nice to have the meal be a little bit more well-rounded. But I've been really enjoying getting my enchilada fix in a simple way. What have you been eating? We have been eating a lot of deviled eggs. Is this after Easter? We've been eating deviled eggs since Easter. It actually wasn't related to that. Okay. We sort of started around the Super Bowl, which is not related at all to having lots of eggs around, except that I just wanted to eat deviled eggs. So how I typically make them is, you know, hard boil them, peel them, cut them, 
dump the yolks out and then, you know, mash up the yolks just by themselves with a fork. Mm -hmm. And then I cook a packet of bacon and pour the bacon grease onto the yolks Mm -hmm. and then continue mashing. And I think something about the bacon grease helps it really emulsify and not have any little yolky chunks. Okay. And then I add, you know, sort of the typical mayo, relish, mustard, salt and pepper type seasonings. And then I crumble the bacon and add it. And then I sometimes also add crumbled blue cheese. That is a major step up from the deviled eggs I have been eating. They are amazing. Also, Worcestershire sauce, which is really yummy, Mm. too, and adds a little bit of like depth and smokiness. This is not my original recipe. This is a dear family friend who always made them like this at Thanksgiving. And I have co-opted her recipe. So that's one kind of deviled eggs we've been eating which obviously super yum. But then Audrey also made her version of deviled eggs, which was a much more traditional deviled egg recipe. But they were amazing, for one thing, because she made them and I didn't have to. Makes everything better. (laughs) Yes, so true. But for another, she got a little piping tip Mm. and put it in a Ziploc bag and then squeezed them out. So they were really beautiful. The presentation factor is another area of my hosting in which I am lacking. (laughs) And the deviled eggs I normally make are usually looking like a hot mess because they're all lumpy with the bacon and blue cheese. Oh, yeah. And I just sort of like dollop it in there. (laughs) But they lack nothing in taste. I have a question about how you're cooking your eggs. Mm. Have you been doing them in the Instant Pot? Because I have. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I still have not tried that. Audrey did them this last time. She just boiled them in a pot like standard way. But tell me more about how you do them in the Instant Pot. I'd have to double check on the time amount, but you put the little rack in the bottom, Mm -hmm. one cup of water, you can do a dozen eggs in the bottom of the Instant Pot, and Mm. then it's a short amount of time that you cook it. I think it might even just be five minutes cooking because it takes about five minutes to get to pressure, five cooking, five with the pressure release, Mm. but they peel so easily. Mm. And we get fairly fresh eggs from the farmer's market, which those can be such a pain to peel. And I've never really been able to get it to work well on the stovetop. It's a huge pain. But with the Instant Pot, it is so easy to do it. So that's been a game changer for me. Yeah, we need to get on that train. I think that's all for this episode of Friendlier. Sarah, it has been great talking with you and with all of you listeners. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget that if you are wanting to join your own virtual book club, you can sign up for the Friendlier Reading Experience through the Google form on our website. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. I've wrote mine so long ago, I have no idea what I have down. So, because you were ready last week. And I think I did it a week ahead of time, too, because I was just feeling efficient. Yeah, you did. Let's move on. Okay. (laughs) Also want to point out that hostess gift is kind of sexist, because if you're visiting a family or couple where there's also a male partner. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe you should think about bringing that person a gift, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Would it just be a host gift, then? Yes.